What's your favorite team? Do you have a favorite author, a favorite artist, favorite rock star? Who are you a fan of? And what will it take for you to unfan, for you to unfollow? I enjoy following professional tennis. I have done since I was in college. Uh, there are four majors in the year, and when the majors are on TV, I'm kind of zoned in. And I watch the tournament, and because of that, I've, I, I know a lot about a lot of the players and the top players. And in a sense, I follow them. And as I'm watching the tournament, the commentator might say something, I'll pick up my phone and I'll Google them and I'll find out all of their details. I was in Miami just a few weeks ago watching the Miami Open and I saw Roger Federer. Uh, I'm a big fan of Roger Federer uh, for two reasons. One, he's a phenomenal tennis player, and two, his mother's South African. So that does it right for me, you know, right there. Um, but what would it take for me to unfan Federer? <laughs> About six months ago, I was watching a match on TV and Federer was playing and he messed up a shot, which doesn't often happen. And then he let out this loud expletive. And, and I didn't hear it, but the commentators heard it, and so they spoke about it, and suddenly my impression as a fan just went down a little bit. Maybe not enough to push the unfan button. In baseball, they say that you're only as good as your last hit. Maybe that's not fair. But your team is only as good as the last win, or are you one of those followers that will follow and be a fan even if they never win. What about your friends? Are they your friends based on the last friendship thing they did for you? And then what about God? Are you a fan of God, a follower of God based on the last prayer that he answered? Or are you faithful, period? So the question for me, I mean, the challenge for you this morning is, are you faithful or are you fickle? Are you faithful or are you fickle? And we're going to look at that topic within the context of Passion Week. Today is Palm Sunday, uh, also known as the Triumphal Entry. This is Passion Week, also known as Holy Week. A few weeks earlier, Jesus was visiting his friends in the city of Bethany. He had heard that his dear friend Lazarus had died. Jesus arrives about four days later and prays and raises Lazarus from the dead. And you would think that this is enough to celebrate and to bring out the dancing and the singing and, and, and to just cause the masses to follow Jesus. But there were some in the crowd, or they heard about it, who fumed. And these religious leaders decided that Jesus had to die. He was too much of a threat to the Roman Empire and to their little uh, livelihoods. In fact, they even say, he, the Romans are going to come and take away our place, citing Jesus as a threat. And that scene really sets the scene for Passion Week. 
They don't know what's coming. But it's a time of Passover in the Jewish calendar. And thousands upon thousands of people are flocking to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. I asked my wife a couple of days ago. Uh, my wife was born Jewish uh, and or raised in a Jewish home. And I said to her, which is the most significant religious holiday or day? And she said, probably Yom Kippur, uh, the Day of Atonement. But the Passover would be a close second. I don't know for sure, but about 1,450 years earlier, God delivered the Hebrews out of Egypt. So for centuries, they've been celebrating the Passover, and they would come to Jerusalem at Passover, and, and there would be celebrations and sacrifices and prayers, and so the city is clogged with people, and they're still coming in by the thousands the week before. The residents in Jerusalem know about Jesus. They've heard about Jesus. Some of them would have seen Jesus, heard him speak. And a lot of them are thinking, maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the year when Messiah comes. Maybe this is the year when Messiah sets up his throne. Maybe this is the year when we will eventually find deliverance from Roman occupation. The disciples are excited too. Maybe their excitement is higher than just the regular residents of Jerusalem. They have walked with Jesus for three years. They've heard him talk. But yet, they've also heard him talk about death and him leaving. They don't fully understand it, but, but they're hopeful, expectant. And then there's a group of, of religious leaders that have spies fanned out around the city looking for Jesus. They have to report back if they see him. They're in negotiations with a couple of Jesus' followers. What can we do? How much will it take for you to unfollow? For you to push the unfan button? This is the scene on that Palm Sunday. So this morning we are going to take a section-by-section section walk through Luke 19 and John chapter 6. Luke 19 and John chapter 6. Reading from verse 28 in Luke chapter 19. And when he, that's Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was elevated around the countryside, so they went up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two disciples saying, let me just pause there. So if you can just picture Jerusalem on the east side, right next to the temple was the Kidron Valley. Then there's a little rise, and that's Mount Olivet. Uh, and right near the summit is the little village of Bethphage, and then down on the eastern slope of the mountain of Olives is Bethany, where Lazarus was raised. And Jesus is making his way towards Jerusalem along that route. So he sends some disciples ahead, saying, As go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Verse 32. So those who were sent went 
away and found it just as he had told them. You're right, Pastor Randy, it shouldn't be a surprise, right? And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. Has the Lord have need of it? Does the Lord need the colt in the sense that he's, he's lacking and deficient? No. Does he need it because he wants somebody to give it to him to use? Yes. And that's really what God wants, right? He wants the will, our will, to be willing to say, Lord, it's yours. Have it. My son was about four or five years old. Um, he was in the first service. I asked him permission if I can share the story. <laughs> he was about four or five years old, and, and to be honest, I set the scene up. I purposely did. I set the scene up uh, because I wanted to see his reaction. I had actually heard uh, John Maxwell share a similar story. And so I took Daniel out for some fries. I said to him, Daniel, let's go have some fries and some soda. So we went to this local fast food, fast food place. And he had his plate of fries, and I didn't. I was just drinking a soda. So I reached across the table and took one of his fries. And in typical toddler, four-year-old manner, put his arm around the, that plate, and he pulled it towards himself. He says, man! <laughs> Daniel didn't understand that I paid for those fries. <laughs> and I could take them away. I could drown him in fries. <laughs> so what is it that we as dads want, right? Dad, you can have a fry. What is it that God wants? God, you can have my fries. God, you can have my coat. God, you can have my everything. Verse 35. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. The passage that Randy read, they put palm branches down too. So the road is lined with cloaks and palm branches. Word has got out quickly. He's coming. He's coming. And the crowds start lining the streets. Hundreds of them, maybe thousands of them, lining the street. Verse 37, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, so he's come over the crest, he's coming down the western side of the Mount of Olives, he's going to cross the Kidron Valley, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. For all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. In a spiritual sense, Jesus is entering Jerusalem as a conquering savior, conquering king. They're seeing him as a conquering military, occupying, forceful king. At least that's what they're hoping. Maybe this year it is the year Messiah will come. But I get a sense that Jesus isn't feeling the mood, so to speak. And I don't know for sure, I'm just reading between the lines, the crowd is singing praises, 
and they're celebrating, and I get a sense that Jesus is, is in a somber mood. I think he's hurting. I'll come back to that thought in a couple of minutes. Verse 39, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Why are the Pharisees annoyed? Could be because the very songs that the people are singing are messianic songs. They're messianic verses. The people know that these verses are to be sung when the Messiah comes. When Matthew records a story, he records the people singing Hosanna to the son of David. That's messianic. Luke, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. John, blessed is the king of Israel. The Pharisees are scowling. They're mad. They dare not arrest Jesus there and then. There's too many fans around. There was a time when Jesus asked his disciples to keep quiet about who he was. Not anymore. He's welcoming the praise, although he might not be showing it. In fact, the mood of the narrative that Luke writes changes right at this point in verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Why is that? Is he afraid of what's coming? He knows what's coming. Is he afraid? Maybe in his humanity he is. In just a few nights he's going to pray, Lord, take this cup from me. Is he dreading what's coming? Maybe. But more than that, I think Jesus is hurting because he knows that this crowd is fickle. Because he knows that within just a few days, this same crowd will be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. He knows that depending on the time of day, time of week, this crowd will quickly push the unfan button. He's grieved that his people have rejected him. He knows that those who praise him one day will condemn him the next. Even some of his closest disciples will turn on him. Many will treat Jesus just as a postscript, an addendum, an afterthought. They'll follow him only for miracles. They'll follow him only for handouts. The Passion Week is a week of contrasts, stark contrasts. A few months earlier, Peter has said to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. A few days after this entry, Peter will deny knowing him. The crowd sings, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then they crucify him. From the triumphal entry to the cross, 
from followers to deserters, from faithful to fickle. What will it take? There is an incident earlier in Jesus' ministry that is a classic example of the fickle fan. Let's walk through it. John chapter 6. I want to set the scene for this passage. Ancient Romans knew how to work the crowd. There were two things that Roman citizens wanted. Bread and circuses. And the Roman, the Roman politicians knew that if they would keep giving the crowd free bread and put on this lavish entertainment, some of it the most barbaric you could ever think of, that they will keep the crowd. And so there is this culture in the Roman Empire that you're only as good as the last good thing you did. And maybe that's the mood of the people around Galilee because the people around Galilee were big fans of Jesus. Especially when Jesus was handing out free meals. Jesus feeds the 5,000 after a sermon one day. And it's not just from a bountiful supply of food. No, I'm sure the crowd knew, or at least some of them, and maybe word spread, this came from just a meager little portion of some bread rolls and a couple of fishes. And this is an amazing thing, right? Suddenly, Jesus' popularity skyrockets. He has thousands of fans. After the feeding of the 5,000, he dismisses them. Sends the disciples away so Jesus can have some free time to himself and the Father. And then the next day we pick up the story in verse 25 of John chapter 6. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now that's not the disciples, the apostles, that's the crowd. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. <laughs> Jesus sees right through them, like he always does, right? You're not looking for me because you have a broken heart and you need a transformation. You're looking for me because you're hungry. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? That's a pretty good question. What should we do? What is it? What must we do? But Jesus knows that's not a sincere question. Verse 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Believe. Believe and follow. It's more than just loaves and fishes. It's more than just the last big thing. Look at verse 30. They said to him, then what sign do you do? that we may see and believe. Didn't I just feed 5,000 people from a tiny little meal yesterday? Is that, in, is that not enough? You want another sign? You want another big win for your team? 
Team Jesus, you want another big win? How many more signs is it going to take? They say in verse 31, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Maybe they're saying to him, remember that trick Moses did? Do that. Do something like that and then we will believe. Jesus says, verse 32, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. There's a natural response in verse 34. So give us this bread always, not just one time, always. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. They don't want that. Give us a trick. Give us a meal. We don't want you, we want your stuff. We'll only be your fan if you give us stuff. Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life. It's me. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This dialogue goes on and on for several more verses. It gets a bit kind of weird if you don't understand the context. Jesus starts talking about his body as the bread of life, and you have to eat it, you have to consume it. In other words, Jesus is saying you have to be all in. You have to be all in. If you want the bread of life, if, if you're my fan, you have to be all in. They don't like it. It's no surprise that they don't like it. Verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Why? Maybe the same reason why some of you have pushed the unfollow button. Or maybe the same reason why some of you might be getting close to pushing the unfollow button. Because it's hard. It's difficult. Mentally, there's things mentally that you cannot reconcile. There's science and creation and you're struggling to reconcile the two. This thing about the Red Sea and the open and the Israelites walk through and the Egyptians get drowned, it doesn't make sense to you and, and you're struggling and that's enough for you to unfollow. Maybe there's something that you prayed for for months and months and years and God didn't answer it and you push the unfollow button. It's too much. Maybe you've seen hypocrisy around you in the church, or church leaders, Christians you know, who talk spiritual stuff out of one side of their mouth and, and, and hypocrisy out of the other, and that's too much for you. So you've unfanned, you've unfollowed. You're done. I've had enough. 
crowd doesn't want Jesus. They don't want transformation. They don't want a new heart. They want another meal. But Jesus is telling them, I've come for something bigger than a meal. I've come for something bigger than a loaf of bread. I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. I can show you how to do life better than you could ever imagine. Even if you eat bread and not steak. Even if you drive a Ford Pinto rather than a Cadillac. You can have life and life to the full. So this crowd starts thinning out. Maybe the apostles, the twelve, are thinking, this isn't good. <laughs> Maybe they're going up to Jesus and whispering, Lord, you're losing the crowd. <laughs> and Jesus says to them in verse 67, do you want to go away as well? You don't want to leave too, do you? I know it's hard. And I know you aren't going to always get in your humanity, your humanness, what you want. And I'm not promising you that you will always get what you want. What I promise you is me. To walk with you. Faithfully. There's many times in the Gospels where Peter is just saying dumb things. <laughs> but this time he, he answers with a great response. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter sees something that the other 12 don't see. Peter, Peter sees something that the rest of the crowd don't see. Peter, Peter sees in Jesus something that he can hang his life on. Yes, he wasn't perfect, and we know that. Peter might be saying, Lord, we're scared. These are troubling times. You're saying some troubling stuff. We've left everything for you. We've left home and careers and livelihood, and you're talking about leaving, and, and we're scared. But if not Jesus, who? If not Jesus, where? If not Jesus, what? Only you have the words of eternal life. Only you can help us do life better. So my question to you is, are you faithful or are you fickle? If you have unfollowed, why did you? The wonderful thing about unfollowing Jesus is that you can always undo the unfollow. You can always come back. I urge you to reconsider. If you're on the verge of pushing that unfollow button, it's just hard and you've come to church this morning and you're kind of running on spiritual empty, take your finger off and just, and just give him some time. He might not answer that prayer request. 
for that thing that you want. But one day soon, in the next days or weeks, he will, he will affirm his love for you and his walk with you. Maybe you think that that's not possible because, because you've got too much stuff hanging on you. <laughs> the sin of the world, the choices you've made, the choices other people have made that have caused things to hang on you. He's saying, follow me. Follow me. Yesterday, I had an experience. As soon as I was finished with it, the Lord said to me, that's your closing illustration. So, I'm almost done, okay? Yesterday, I took part in an obstacle race. Well, they called it a race. For me, it was an obstacle walk. It was about three miles long, 22 obstacles, down in Fort Lauderdale. A group of us from, from Masses Academy went. There were nine of us. And I knew that in the physical shape that I'm in, I'm probably going to run about the first tenth, and then I'm going to walk, and that was fine. That's exactly what I did. But I was determined to get over, get through, get under, accomplish all 22 obstacles. And by God's grace, I did. Uh, I took an hour. I think the rest of them did it in like 25, 30 minutes, but that was fine. I was just going to finish. About a third into the obstacle race, there were two obstacles right close to each other. The one was a field of sludge. It was about 10, 12 inches deep. It was thick, black, mucky, gooey mess. And about 12 inches above it was barbed wire. I'm not kidding you. And there was about 20, 30 feet of it. And I had to crawl through it crawl through it, but I was just in this thing, crawling through it, and I came out the other side, and this, I was, I'm not exaggerating, I was caked in mud, it was stuck to me, about 30 yards away, there was this lake, and there were the ropes, there were these ropes in this lake, I have no idea how deep the lake was, within a few steps, I couldn't stand, I'm six foot three, but there were these ropes, and, and, and I pulled myself across the lake, pulling these ropes, and as I was pulling, so the mud was coming off. You know where I'm going, right? I, I got to the other side. The mud was gone. And Jesus said, That's, tell the church that. Folks, I know it's hard. Jesus never promises you that it won't be hard. Jesus never promises you that it won't be difficult for you to sometimes mentally comprehend what he's doing in your life. But he's saying if you're all in, if you're faithful, if you just give it one day at a time and you allow me to pull you through this lake of life, you'll come out clean on the other end. Some of that mess might take a while to fall off. But stay faithful. Some of it will fall off like that. You're going to pray and you're going to be sincere and it's going to be gone. But you hang in there. Because he knows how you can do life and he can do life for you. You have to be faithful. One final thing. The temptation for us is to come through Passion Week and do a leapfrog over the crucifixion and land in the resurrection. 
God's saying you have to go through the crucifixion. You have to go through the cross. You have to do the crucifying of self so you can land in Resurrection Sunday. Where are you? Have you unfollowed? Come back. Are you considering unfollowing? Reconsider. Maybe this morning you're just going to say, Lord, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you're alive. And you love us and you cherish us. There isn't a whole lot, Lord, that we really need to do except just to allow you to pull us through sometimes the muck of life. And forgive us for those times when stuff attaches to us because of our stupid choices and our sin. But you tell us if we will allow you to continue to pull us and draw us to yourself, Lord, that stuff will fall off. Your righteousness becomes our righteousness. Your death and resurrection becomes our death and resurrection. Father, you know where these precious individuals are spiritually. I pray that you would encourage them to stay faithful to the end. Imperfectly as we are, but faithful to the end. This morning I invite you to to respond as the Lord leads you. You can come to the altar and pray. There's prayer partners on your left or you can pray at the altar on your right. As the worship team leads us, you respond to the Lord as He leads you. Let's stand together.
Then on the third, at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. Oh, trample death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. Oh, praise the Turn in robes of white, the blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Sing to him. Thank you, Lord. 
for your faithfulness to us. We will be faithful to you for endless days. However you choose to walk with us through those days, we will be faithful. Go with this group. Bless them, encourage them, give them strength to have faithful days ahead and bring us back. Resurrection Sunday, Lord, we're excited. And for um, Easter Friday, Lord, bring us back for that service too. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.